Hey everybody, this is your lady friend Lim Rosh, the Queen Dawn from across the pond. Right now you are locked on in the words of Stevie Wonder, hotter than July edition of Jazz E Lounge, the podcast. This is the last week of July 2022 and I promise myself I'm going to hit you with a few episodes that's going to hit your July off and get you ready for August. Summer is rolling so fast. I don't want you to miss anything. It's going down right now all weekend long. Several people have jazz festivals and concerts coming up. R&B and soul concerts. It's just going down. I'm trying to hit you up all weekend long with those special events. But I'm going to talk about a few episodes that I'm going to try to wrap up this July with. When I come back, this is the Hotter Than July edition of Jazz E-Lounge. Guess who's back? <laughs> Your lady friend, Lamrosh, with the Hotter Than July edition of Jazz E Lounge. And we're just going to ha- call this Hotter Than Jazz in July. And I'm telling you right now, if you've ever been to a jazz festival in the middle of the summer, in July in particular, you know how hot it can be. No matter where you are on the globe, hot in July is hot in July. So imagine tapping it off with a little jazz music to set your whole summer off. You hear me? So listen, just a few, not even a few weeks ago, about last week, actually, I was in Miami, Florida. And when I got to Miami, Florida, I just realized just how hot and sexy Miami Beach is and Miami in general, South Beach in particular, and how people were just out kicking it and doing their thing and walking around and eating and drinking and being merry. But what struck me and reminded me about Miami is that you can hear live Latin jazz music, merengue, and all other forms of Caribbean music right off the main strip or the main drag, Ocean Drive, A1A, Collins Avenue, all that little space around Miami Beach and South Beach. You're going to hear some kind of salsa music, some kind of Latin jazz music. And that got me to thinking, I need to do a little episode about these uh, Latin jazz bands and bands in particular that were from Cuba and how they actually got to Miami and um, just really briefly talk about the Latin jazz history because I'm telling you, it deserves its own dissertation. You understand me? I'm not going to do it any justice, but I'm going to hit you off with a few names um, because I was really inspired when I went to Miami and I was just engulfed into the whole Latin jazz scene. So I started looking up a few jazz clubs and seeing who was um, offering live music. You know what I'm saying? So check this out. I started to put together a little, um, some questions and things I wanted to think about. So the first thing I'm going to talk about and think about when it comes to um, the Latin jazz scene is Cuba and the Miami connection. A lot of people don't know. A lot of Cubans have set up areas and communities in in Miami, and uh, they were from Cuba, and um, they've been there since the Fidel Castro ruling, I would go ahead and say that, and um, so a lot of Cubans have uh, fled and left Cuba, and 
made Miami their home. And with that, they brought culture and music and language and literature and art and all those beautiful things that were still Afro-Cuban and brought it all the way over to Miami. And it's a lot of live music taking place in Miami. So I'm just going to hit you off with a few of clubs that I am. Not, I didn't visit yet, but I did research. So next time I'm in Miami, I'm going to have to hit them up because now I know. So I started thinking about the music genres in Cuba. The musicians from Cuba, and one struck me right away, is Mango Santa Maria, who is a Cuban percussionist. And the reason why I'm starting off with him is because he, let me see, he uh, remade, I want to say remade, or he um, took a song by Herbie Hancock, which is Watermelon Man. And he recorded Watermelon Man that was composed by Herbie Hancock, and it was a hit. And even though you know it's Watermelon Man, it's something about the groove that sets it apart from its original concept. So check out that by Mango Santa Maria. Um, check it. He did Watermelon Man by Herbie Hancock. So when I come back, I'm going to talk about a few more things um, that I'm going to consider on this upcoming episode of my Latin Jazz and Miami-Cuba connection uh, later on this month. Got a few more days before the month ends. Come on back. I'm excited. Latin Jazz Miami-Cuba. Hey, this is Lamrosh, and as promised, I am back. I was so influenced by my trip to Miami last week and listening to some Latin jazz music and seeing people dance the merengue and salsa dancing. It was just real sexy and hot in Miami. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to do an episode just talking about the great Latin jazz musicians and percussionists and singers and dancers and everybody who really contributed to that genre coming out of Cuba. And I was talking about the, what I was going to mention for the episode. Uh, and I said, uh, you know, first I got to talk about the Cuba and Miami connection. The genres that came out of Cuba were more than I could even imagine. And uh, I'm sure you don't know too much about it either, but we're going to bring it all to you on an upcoming episode. Let's talk about some musicians from Cuba and um, San, uh, Mango Santa Maria. And he uh, made, did a remake of um, Herbie Hancock's Watermelon Man. So we want to check that out. Then I started to think about the African-American jazz musicians and the Cuba-Caribbean connection. And the first person I thought about was Dizzy Gillespie and Manteca. And I know he was influenced. I got to look at the little bit more history of when he really started to um, mix and mingle with the Latin jazz sound. And, and it was no strange mix. You know what I'm saying? It was all blending very well. And I know when those brothers and sisters got together, whoo, baby, it was just some hot magic. And that magic came across in so many different songs and 
uh, Sonny Rollins in particular. I know he has a song about Carnival because his roots go back to the Caribbean as well. So if any other song that you can think about from, from jazz musicians that really touch on that Caribbean and Latin jazz vibe, we're going to talk about that too. So hit me up. And um, last but not least, another thing I thought about when I'm going to talk about that episode with jazz and Cuba or Cuba, you know, the songs influenced by the black jazz artists, these Latin songs, you know what I'm saying? So we're going to all check that out on my upcoming episode. So that's one thing I want to talk about before we get moving into the new uh, month, which is August. And then I was um, looking at Google, you know how you go online every day and Google pops up. This particular week, the last week of July, Google celebrated the steel drum. And I talk about the steel drum on my my blog, as well as um, briefly on one of my podcast episodes. So I got to figure out which one it is. Anyway, the steel drum was celebrated by Google, and they had a short animated video about the pan or the steel drum. And um, they started off with, um, it was animated, so get that in your mind. And it started off with, you know, making and experimenting with this this uh, oil can. It was an oil drum. Um, and then they were carving it, and then they made this sound. But what they did not mention was the history of how these steel drums got on the island of Trinidad in particular. So um, according to the history books, because I studied this culture, uh, during World War II, when America was going across the Caribbean with their ships, battleships, they would look for oil or get oil from other countries, and they would put this oil in these steel drums, and they would carry the oil from these islands to America. And when they were done with these drums filled with oil, they would discard them upon the islands. And then it became an ugly mess. If you can imagine a beautiful island, now all these oil drums is just thrown over there like it's some trashy island. So shame on America for doing that. Hello. But big ups to the Trinidadians in particular who developed this idea to clean out these oil drums and carve it into a beautiful instrument and at one time was the only instrument created in the 20th century. So dig that. Because everything else was created in in Europe. You think about all the musicians that play uh, instruments in these orchestras. Those instruments, they go way back. But the newest instrument of the 20th century was the steel drum, and it was created by Trinidadians, so dig that. So I wanted to hit you off with that, but in thinking about the steel drum, there is something called pan jazz, and there are several artists that we're going to get into that not only play the steel drum, but they play it in a sophisticated way, and it's called pan jazz. So, woo, we're going to really get into that groove as well. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you about one more thing that I'm going to talk about on my upcoming episode. And this was an inspiration that happened uh, when I was attending the Tri-C Cleveland Jazz Fest. So, ooh, baby, 
I'm, I'm going to set you on fire for August. It's coming up real soon. Come on back. Good evening. This is Limrosh, the Queen Dawn from across the pond. I'm still locked on, and so are you, to Jazz E Lounge, the podcast. Check it out. Just a few weeks ago, I went to the Tri-C Cleveland Jazz Festival, and I talked about that experience on uh, one of my episodes. You want to check that out. But while I was there, I came across this woman who was um, advertising some jazz postcards. That's the first thing that caught my eye. I'm like, well, what's going on with this lady? Got these postcards with these jazz artists on it. So as I spoke with her a little further, I found out that Miss Carol L. Anthony, curator, um, had access to some photographs from the Sepia Magazine archive. And I had never heard of Sepia Magazine. It was... Um, Goodness, from it ran from 1945 to 1980. So dig that, 1945 to 1980, Sepia magazine uh, existed, and uh, they really captured the African American experience in music. And the magazine had several photographs of different artists, different artists from various genres of entertainment including jazz and art and film and music. But this woman had access to these photographs. And apparently these photographs were featured at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I did not know. I'm living in Cleveland, didn't know about that. Maybe I need to become a member. That's how I know what's happening. I got to be a member of these of these uh, places. You know what I'm saying? Like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I should be a member. I'm going to be a member. Thank you. But she had access to, I believe, 45 photographs. And she was the curator of this event at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I'm like, you know what? I told her when I met her, I talked to her. She even had some of her photographs. Um, they were in puzzles form, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, well, she got these puzzles going on, these postcards. She's doing big things. I said, you know what? I have a podcast, and I would love for you to come on my show. So I just linked up with her just a week ago, <laughs> and um, we, we emailed each other a little bit back and forth, and um, we're going to link up next week. So the first weekend in August, we're going to have Miss Carol L. Anthony, who's a curator of these beautiful photographs from the Sepia Magazine photo archive that was featured from 1945 to 1980. So when I start to look at this magazine and her website, I said, you know what, let me see what other magazines were around. And I want to talk about black magazines and black literature and journals that African-Americans created throughout the years. You know what I'm saying? And um, it, it's so many to mention, y'all. When I come back and have this episode talking about black magazines and what they featured and what they discussed and what they exhibited, it's just going to blow your mind, baby, because magazines that feature black culture goes back to the late 1800s. Do you hear me? Which proves and which has evidence that black people in America has always been educated been the forefront of everything new and have been creating culture 
in many forms for several hundred years now. That's why we the coldest on the planet. <laughs> you understand me? So Sepia Magazine's uh, curator of these particular photographs, Carol L. Anthony, is definitely going to stop by Jazz E. Lounge. And that's definitely going to take place the first weekend of August. As soon as I get that specific day and time with her, it's all good. But in the meantime and in between time, I'm going to post some of those photographs on my social media page. And um, hit me up. Support the podcast. You know what I'm saying? Spread the news. I'm on Apple now. And I just found this out looking at my logistics. More people listen to this podcast via Apple Podcasts. Even though I'm on Spotify and I got to kick it up a notch. Even though Anchor sponsors this podcast, the most of my listeners are on Apple. So I love y'all. Big ups to my Apple listeners, podcasting as well as myself. And uh, I'm going to sign off with um, ciao. Did I talk about Dizzy Gillespie's Manteca? I know I did. (laughs) I'm going to listen to that again because he has so many live versions. So when we talk about um, black jazz musicians inspired by Cuba and Latin jazz, that's the first person I want to talk about. It's going to be Brother Dizzy Gillespie, the legendary sexy trumpet player. Yes, all of y'all in the building. We love you. This is Limrash saying ciao for now.